buckle up and get ready to learn. Welcome to the 11th ever episode of Any Ideas, uh, the podcast about coming up with a podcast, and the first ever episode of Wiki Wiki What? The podcast where we do claim to be the experts, all thanks to Wikipedia. Uh, I'm Mitch Kreitzman, alongside my co-host Jordan Kreitzman, and Jordan, I gotta be honest, we gotta start coming up with podcast titles when we pitch it, because it's too much stress on me to come up with them. <laughs> Mitch, I'm loving this uh, pilot already, though. <laughs> I, love, I love the intro, I love the title. Real positive vibes here right now. I'm loving it. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad that we're I'm glad that we're on a positive page here to start things yeah, off because usually it's negative. <laughs> and honestly, this one could go anywhere. Oh, yeah, it could go very badly. <laughs> so for those of you who have forgotten the premise of this pilot, basically, uh, I'm gonna go on my phone, go to Wikipedia, and use the random article. Uh, link available through Wikipedia to pull up a completely random article from the entire archive of Wikipedia. Or at least... Then going to... At least based on the algorithm that they use, <laughs> which I can't fully justify is completely unbiased, but we don't know, so... <laughs> well, I guess if Jordan wants to get all scientific with it, I guess we haven't researched this algorithm, so I can't say for sure. We're going to use the Wikipedia random article algorithm and use what that gives us. Spend the expert, uh, spend the podcast rather becoming experts on whatever that Wikipedia article topic is. Uh, I'm setting some parameters here at the start so that we know what to expect for the random article. If I feel that the article is too short to make a podcast out of, it's in the trash and I do it again. If the topic is something that could potentially get us flagged in some way, that also is getting tossed. <laughs> I'm not trying to get in any hot water here today. Um, Mitch, I don't think Wikipedia is connected to the dark web, but <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. We don't We don't know that. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, the one other parameter is that anything that is on that Wikipedia page or is linked on that Wikipedia page, we can use to become experts if we see fit. Other linked pages on that Wikipedia article, uh, the references it uses, anything like that. Uh, so, wait, so if we find, we, we get the Wikipedia page, and then they just have bolded a given word that practically has nothing to do with the rest of it, we can just click on that and become experts on that instead? No. We can oh, okay. we can use that other article to become experts on the original article, if it would suit it. Oh, okay, so you're just... Just naming all the source material we can use for that given Our material. resources available to us topic. are anything that is available to us on that article's page. Okay. I'm caught up. That said, Jordan, I'm ready to hit the magic button and see where this takes Wait, us. Wait, can we, can we have a little, what do we, what should we do, like a, a drum roll or a, <laughs> you, you put in a little, little uh, sound bit before I'm this? I'm sure or? I'll have something put in there. Okay, make, make it good. Three, two, one. What is it? Mm, I don't know if it's long enough. <laughs> what is it? Mm. John Robitaille, an American politician and businessman. He was the Republican Party nominee in the 2010 election for the governor of Rhode Island, which he lost to independent candidate Lincoln Chaffee in November 2nd, 2010. Is that the only info on there? No, but it's very short. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, well, I'll pick another one. Well, I'll pick another. All right, one. all right. I'll pick another one. I'll pick another one. <laughs> that really gives me a good feel for the the randomness of this. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. <laughs> all right, three, two, one. Another short one. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. I think this might be the podcast. This one is for the Home Savings Bank building. It's an office located in downtown Albany, New York. 19 stories. All right. Who's making a Wikipedia article about the 11th? We get it. Hang on, Jordan. Listen to this. It's the 11th tallest building in the city of Albany. Why are we making a Wikipedia article what? about that? I thought the 11th tallest building was just practically the height of a human being right <laughs> the 11th tallest building in Alm- in albany is that house that has an attic down the street <laughs> all right we're gonna give this another try i'm gonna i'm gonna set all this, right we gotta get this i'm going. gonna set this parameter now if we don't get it after four whatever comes up on the fifth is what we're using regardless that's fair because we um, this pilot will quickly turn into how long does it take to get a long Wikipedia article? Right, and we don't, which is not what we're we going don't want for. that. Yeah. All right, <laughs> three, two, one. Mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> what is it gave that? me Grady Vilki. Uh, it's a village in the administrative district of Gmina Jedwabny. Within Lamza <laughs> County, Podlaski, Voivodeship in northeastern Poland. Mitch, you telling me we can't talk for an hour on that? <laughs> it's a very small village in eastern Poland that is very small. The one guy who lives there wrote the Wikipedia. Right. <laughs> We're here too. All right. So that was our third try. So oh, far, God. not so good. <laughs> Let's give this another I'm getting shot. Nervous. Getting real nervous. Three, two, one. Oh man. <laughs> this is not great. Oh no. <laughs> okay. What is the it? 2010 PTT Pattaya Open doubles. Uh so it looks like it's a very obscure tennis tournament for which they gave a Wikipedia article only about the doubles bracket. <laughs> All right, I'm quickly realizing just how many Wikipedia <laughs> articles there are. I thought I knew there were a lot. I was way underestimated. So I will say, for the sake of the pilot, I do think it's important that we get a meaty article to really see what this podcast is capable of. But I do think if this was to become the permanent podcast, we should just make it whatever pops up first from now on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because so, I, I don't know if we're ever going to come across a, a so lengthy I'm, article. I'm calling it now. Whatever is next, we have to do unless it, for some reason, would get us flagged. That's still a that's still a parameter. So wait, or can we go back and pick one of the first four? Or is, uh, is that no? It's too us? late. For okay. That. All right. Let's do this. Three, <laughs> two, two, one. All right, we can make this one work. Actually, really? this one's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but it's pretty good. What is it? All right. It is the Newark Evening News. Uh, the Newark Evening News was an American newspaper published in Newark, New Jersey. So that can work with this. <laughs> it's got a no. It's got a. It's got a good history here. Um, what is it called I, again? It is the Newark Evening News. So let's see uh, what they're 
let's see what their claim to fame is here. I was about well, to say, so I'm first of all, learning stuff. Newark is New Jersey's <laughs> largest city, which yeah, that's it's not Trenton. That's a very interesting part. Um, and Newark has and Newark has played a major role in New Jersey's journalistic uh, journalistic history. That's interesting. Uh, let's see. The news was widely regarded as the newspaper of record in New Jersey. It had boroughs in Ooh. Montclair, Elizabeth, Metuchen, Morristown, Plainfield, Kearney, and Belmar. Wow. Mitch, what are those places? <laughs> I assume cities in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, let's click on uh, Morristown. All right. Let's see what Morristown is. Is a town in the county seat of Morris County, New Jersey. United States. <laughs> that makes sense. Morristown has been has called been... the military yeah. capital of the resolution because of its strategic role in the war for independence in Great Britain. Did you just call it the resolution? <laughs> I don't think so. I thought you did. I mean, what is war oh, for if not a it's resolution, the right? Revolution. <laughs> what you say? I said, what is war for if not reaching a resolution, right? <laughs> yeah, you're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the history is visible in a variety of locations throughout the town that make up Morristown National Historical Park. And there's a picture of trees. <laughs> All right. So I think this has given us a pretty good uh, Let's go back on picture <laughs> of Morristown, which is important for the context of our article here today, the Newark Evening News. But are the other bureaus similar? Well, I think we need one more statistical sample to get an idea, right? I think we should go with Belmar. All right, let's click on Belmar. Belmar is a borough in Monmouth County, New Jersey, United States. Uh, population 5,794. That's small. very small. Let's see. Is there anything this small town is known for? It would not appear so. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what what we're getting from this uh, is that yikes. <laughs> what we're getting from this is that the Newark Evening News had no problem, you know, reporting on the small towns that make up New Jersey, which I think is important. Yeah, I mean cuz no one else is going to do it. <laughs> right, so, that's right. That, that I mean that's why it's so important. Um so okay. There were also bureaus so in the New Jersey State House in Trenton and in Washington DC. Okay. So, all right. So that means, you know, they were on the f upcoming fronts here on political news back in the day, perhaps. Oh, and I just read that they ceased publication in 1972. <laughs> yeah, they must not have been doing great. <laughs> I didn't know they were done. <laughs> all right. Let's see what we've got here for how they started. <laughs> the, the Newark Evening News was founded in 1883 by Wallace Scudder. Uh, oh, we got to look at The newspaper up. was operated by the Scudder family for 86 of its 88 years. The grandson of Wallace Scudder, Richard Scudder, worked as the newspaper's publisher from 52 to 72. Yeah, we definitely got to look up Wallace Scudder. Let's look up old Wallace Scudder here. See what we got. Oh, it's not been created yet. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> Should we Should we, is, is this podcast going to turn into us creating Wikipedia articles? I mean, it can be. We don't really know what it's capable of yet, right? Well, you know what? Richard Scudder... He does have a Wikipedia. Oh, let's take a look. He earned a bachelor's in economics with honors from Princeton in 1935. Uh, he enlisted in the U.S. Army during World War II uh, and served within Operation Annie, an allied German-language counter-propaganda radio station. That's fantastic. 
That's kind of cool. That's fascinating. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah, and then it pretty much just gets into the fact that it became the paper's publisher. So, I mean, post-World War II, this guy came in, took over the Newark Evening News. Interesting guy. I bet he really took the reins and ran with it. Yeah. Well, there's an ancestry section. Uh, for years, the paper... He, an- <laughs> he has an ancestry section, you said? Yeah, an ancestor who fought in the French and Indian War. Wow. This guy has a long history of fighting for justice. We are we are learning a lot today. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that right now. Oh yeah, I mean, that's what that's why we picked it, right? I mean, wanting to learn. I mean, this is, there's no better way. I, I especially now that Wikipedia is like vetted, right? I mean, it's not just. Am I right about that? I I still don't know. I don't know. Okay. I I know Wikipedia articles can be taken down if they're inaccurate, but I don't know how good they are about finding that unless it's a major okay. article. You I, know. Because I remember in like high school, they wouldn't let you use it as a reference. I thought that had changed, but maybe it still hasn't. I'm not sure. So the way around that I always found was just to go and look through the references that Wikipedia uses and cite those as your sources. Nice. (laughs) All right. So for years, the paper thrived as a daily and Sunday paper. It had five editorial writers, an editorial cartoonist, a military writer, and an aviation writer. An aviation I wonder what an writer. aviation writer was talking about back then. Just like, hey, I saw these two guys make a plane in North Carolina. Guys, we have flying machines now. Can you believe it? <laughs> They're in the air for 10 seconds. <laughs> now, I wonder what cartoons used to look like back then in newspapers. Racist, well, we, probably, but actually, <laughs> very good point. Do you think we were just getting like, um, do you think they had Garfield back then? When did Garfield start? Hey, John, it's me, Gazorpazorp Field. Boy, f- you, John, you f- dumb, stupid idiot. Come on, Gazorpazorp Field, go easy on me, huh? You dumb, stupid, weak, pathetic, white, white, uh, uh, guilt. White guilt, milk toast, piece of human garbage. You know, should we look that up on Wikipedia? (laughs) It's not on this page, so we can't. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. I mean, I honestly have no idea. I'm going to guess, like, the 60s? (laughs) No. No, the 80s. Did it start in, like, the 80s? I like uh, I like that we, this is now a wrinkle of the podcast that anything that's not on this Wikipedia article we just kind of have to guess about. We we just remain knowledgeless about. That's exactly <laughs> completely right. Completely uninformed. Now, Jordan, are you a fan of the uh the old crossword puzzle in the newspaper? Um, not particularly, not cuz I don't like them, but I was never good at them. That's been a that's <laughs> been a not, great wasn't my thing. that's been a great way for me to pass the time at some jobs in the past. Uh, when I used to work uh, campus security, University of Minnesota, a lot of that oh, job yeah. was just kind of sitting around. True, and I would do a crossword. That was fun. Doesn't say this doesn't say this paper has crosswords, but I just wanted to point out that that's a newspaper thing. Mitch, did you do it with a pen? Sometimes I would, and that's a okay. bold move. You're not a real crossword. No, guy I'm not. I'm not pen. crazy like that. <laughs> I can't imagine. You're not a psychopath. No. <laughs> so the the paper even had a Sunday magazine, which makes me wonder what the difference is. But uh, where is that written? Where's it on here? Oh yeah. But a great deal of the paper's focus was on politics. So 
They weren't putting any oh, fluff man. in there, Jordan. They were hard-hitting news. I would love to see them out today. <laughs> we we need them at times like this. <laughs> times like this, we need the new, <laughs> the new work evening news. All right, let's see. In 1970, the paper was sold to Media General. Let's see what Media General is about. Not, not just Media General? That just seems like too boring of a company name, right? I just assumed <laughs> I it wasn't because of it. Okay. Mm. We're getting somewhere with this one. Media, yeah, there's a lot more media General uh, was an American media company based in Richmond, Virginia. The company's origins can be traced back to 1887. Uh, they started with the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Uh, let's see. Who have they bought... So they were... Yeah, where's the bot section? Let's see. Former assets? Ooh, in 1982, the company acquired the William B. Tanner Company, previously known as Pepper Tanner, a commercial radio jingle production company headquartered in Memphis. Uh, was divested in 1988... In 1996, Media General acquired Park Acquisitions, the holding company for Park Communications, formerly owned by media entrepreneur Roy H. Park. Now, I'm taking a risk here. I'm going double external Wikipedia link. Who's Roy (laughs) H. Park? (laughs) American media executive and entrepreneur. He's known for creating the Duncan Hines brand of packaged food products. Whoa. Huh. Whoa. That's interesting. Where's his name? Yeah. I'm trying to... I'm getting lost. (laughs) <laughs> I'm moving John, too oh, John, fast for no, you huh? That wasn't John Stewart Bryan What was his name? Where are you? Where am I? I'm still a media general Yeah, so am I And then I clicked on Roy H. Park Down in, under additional acquisitions In history? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah in 1999, Media General bought Spartanburg-based Spartan Communications, which increased Media General's station portfolio from 14 to 27. Wow. <laughs> Wait, is that... Yeah, I guess that's... Is that a lot? I, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's almost 100% increase, but I mean... I mean... Eventually in 2016, they were bought by Nexstar. Uh, basically, the, the long story with this is... the the story that you're going to get with any local media <laughs> company now. Um, meaning it was bought by some giant conglomerate <laughs> yeah. and they're all owned by the same company now. So was NBC universal? Uh, it looks like they were connected to some NBC affiliates and then were bought by Nexstar. Uh, Nexstar, I don't know a lot about, but in terms of some former assets of theirs, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the giant company, would be acquiring Media General's newspaper division, including the Tampa Tribune. So that's what ultimately happened with, uh, that's what would have happened, rather, with the Newark Evening News if it hadn't shut down. Wow. Yeah, I think probably some of the point of this podcast should be we're going to start with something incredibly small, and we need to follow the rabbit trail to get to something we've actually heard of. <laughs> I think we're kind of starting to get yeah, there. Yeah, I think we're about there. <laughs> All right, so we've got that in 1970. It was sold to Media General. In February 1971, the newsroom, which had never been organized, voted to go out on strike and walked out in May of 1971. Uh-oh, we're getting and close the, to the end here. <laughs> and the strike lasted almost a full year until April 1972. It faced increasing competition from the Newark Star-Ledger, 
Uh-oh. And for its final four months, the daily editions of the Newark Evening News were printed on Star Ledger presses. That's always a bad sign. You got to use the you got to use the competition's printing press for your newspaper. Well, we got to read just quick what the competition was. Don't have to get too deep into it, but the Star Ledger is the largest circulated newspaper in the U.S. state of New Jersey and is based in Newark. Oh, the Evening News really blew this one. Yeah, huh? it's a sister paper to the Jersey Journal of Jersey City. The Times of Trenton and the Staten Island Advance, <laughs> all, all of which, of which are, are owned, <laughs> owned by Advance Publications. Uh, let's see, what are they most famous for? It's got a nice logo. <laughs> I know that it does have a nice logo. <laughs> I always like that font. You know, the, the classic yeah. newspaper font. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, they're. Mm, oh, yeah. Jordan, you're you're gonna like this one. I looked up in popular culture. The Star Ledger was featured prominently various times in the television series The Sopranos. Is that what I, <laughs> you know, there's a part of this that felt kind of familiar to me. That must be it. All the times he walked down to the end of his driveway and uh, opened up a newspaper. I bet I saw the Star Ledger up there. Wait, Jordan, listen to this. So Tony Soprano received home delivery of the paper and several episodes opened with him picking it up at the end of the driveway. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos creator, David Chase, credited a Star Ledger story by journalist Guy Sterling with inspiring the theme for the series. Whoa. Very interesting. Wait, wait, wait. So so there's a story on the Star Ledger that inspired the show itself? The theme song. The theme song. The theme song, yes. Almost even cooler, because <laughs> that's a great theme song. <laughs> you know, Jordan, another great pop culture reference here. Uh, you're, this one's not quite as exciting, but I think you'll <laughs> still appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. You remember that movie Jersey Girl? Of course I do, Mitch. <laughs> I was uh, it's not... a middle schooler and went to go see that in the theaters. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a movie for a 12-year-old, but I went and saw it. <laughs> Pretty classic stuff. Yep. The newspaper was referenced by comedian George Carlin in the 2004 comedy drama Jersey Girl, which was written and directed by New Jersey native Kevin Smith. Another fun fact, I didn't know Kevin Smith was from New Jersey. Wow, and so reasonably we can assume that Kevin Smith has read the Star Ledger. I think that's fair. Wow. But we're not here for the Star Ledger, Jordan. Yeah, but we're it makes, here for the, the New York evening it makes news. a lot of sense why the New York Evening News got, got shut out here. <laughs> Let's now, go back. Let's go back. Like we were saying, the, the New York Evening News started being printed, printed on Star Ledger printing presses. Just a, a bad omen for them. That was because the paper's new owners had sold the presses along with the Sunday News edition to the Star Ledger. Oh, no. Betrayal. <laughs> Oh, media general. <laughs> and then the the newspaper ultimately folded on August 31st, 1972. Now, I got to say, the specific wording in the Wikipedia article of saying the paper folded on August 31st, 1972, <laughs> they knew what they were doing, right? I'm just picturing the last employee looking around at the empty office, getting a slight smile and symbolically folding a newspaper of theirs. <laughs> well, looks like we folded. <laughs> Turn off the light, walk away. <laughs> now, here, here's something interesting. Uh, since its demise, the Newark Public Library acquired the paper's record, uh, records, including ancillary materials such as reporters' notes, and has undertaken a major preservation project. Mitch, I want to suggest something here. 
you and I travel to the Newark Public Library and interview these people, <laughs> figure out how what, it's going. We like go. We like run up to them with a mic. What do you know about the Newark Evening News? How are you preserving it exactly? <laughs> it belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. I l- pulled up the Newark Public Library. Can't be much interesting in here, but I thought it'd still be worth looking into. Oh, especially if we're going to travel there. Well, and it's the it's the biggest uh, city in New Jersey. It's got to have a the biggest fairly, library in New Jersey. Fairly sizable library. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, come on. Um. Ooh. So, under architecture, the four-story Italian Renaissance-inspired main library building was designed by John Hall Rankin and Thomas M. Kellogg, drawing inspiration from the 15th-century Palazzo Strozzi in Florence, India. Italy is what I meant to say, not India. Yeah, uh, that's on me. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> ooh. Their intentions were to have the building not only serve as a library, but also as a museum, lecture hall, and gallery that would provide cultural as well as educational experiences in an aesthetically pleasing environment. I wonder if they succeeded on that goal. <laughs> well, I'm taking a look at this picture of the New York Public Library, and I would say so. It oh. looks pretty nice, actually. It does look pretty nice. You're right. I got to hand it to him. And you know, this is all to say, I'm. I just gained a new appreciation, uh, new appreciation for New York Public Library. It looks Which nice. They're never, preserving yeah. all these ancient newspaper <laughs> records. It, it could not have been done without Wikipedia, Mitch. <laughs> when would we have had appreciate an appreciation for anything, New Jersey? <laughs> That's exactly right. I <laughs> if if I. If I take away one thing from this, it's that I don't hate Wick, I don't hate uh, New Jersey as much as I used to. No, even though I heard the the airport's horrible. <laughs> Classic constant delays. All right, ooh, we're we're to it. What looks like an interesting part of the article here, Jordan? Alumni, distinguished Newark Evening News alumni. Here we go. <laughs> So we've got John T. Cunningham, prolific and wide-ranging writer of the history of New Jersey. So I assume he's just written a number of books about New Jersey history. Hmm. Mitch, you got to go to the third one. Howard Roger Garris, reporter who created the Uncle Wiggly character as a news reporter. His, His Uncle, Uncle Wiggly, Wiggly books <laughs> later sold in the millions, and the Wiggly character appeared daily in the news for nearly four decades. <laughs> Wow. All right. We got to. I'm not even clicking on the author first. I'm going right to Uncle Wiggly. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. Wait, his full name is Uncle Wiggly Long Ears. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Uncle Wiggly, an engaging elderly rabbit, is lame <laughs> from rheumatism. What on earth? <laughs> what? <laughs> what was that yeah, yeah. Go down to characters and stories. Uncle Wiggly, an engaging elderly rabbit, is lame from rheumatism. (laughs) Wherever he goes, he always relies on a red, white, and blue crutch, described (laughs) as being striped like a barber pole, or in later episodes, his candy-striped walking cane. (laughs) Uncle Wiggly is one of many recurring characters in the series. What is, for example, example, the the Pipsy Sewa is an unsavory bully who appears as a rhinoceros-like creature. His head has a snout with two small horns and large snorting nostrils. I gotta tell you, this is fascinating. This is um, terrifying. 
I'm just like looking through some of these characters. Jordan, this is crazy. (laughs) No, no, no. Hang on. The the rhino. Yeah. He is normally accompanied by the crow-like Skeezix. In his tall red, ca- his tall red cap and red and yellow striped suit, and the two of them rarely engage in anything other than mischief, harmless to the other characters in the storyline. But Mitch, what about the Bezumpus and the Krazukus and the Skittle Magoon appear less frequently, but are just as outlandish as the aforementioned Pip and Ski, and always require appropriate quote unquote handling by Uncle Wiggly. Wow, I love. Every so second wait, of this. I want to dig deep in this for hours. So what what is this? Is these are from children's books? Or this but these appeared in the newspaper at some point? Howard Garris published seventy nine books of Uncle Wiggly stories. Starting in nineteen twelve and going up to nineteen fifty two. So 40 years of Uncle Wiggly books out there. 40 years of these acid trip stories that are just terrifying. I mean, we didn't even tell the audience some of the other stuff I think I read in here. Or did we? No, wait, so, there. So, look, get to the bad chaps section. The bad chaps. <laughs> the the woozy wolf, the bushy bear, the skillery scallery alligator, and the fierce bobcat, to name but a few. Uncle Wiggly was also the name of a small skateboard company from 1984 to 1990, and the ba- uh, and the name of a 1990s era rock band. Well, there goes our uh, new rock and roll band name that I was going to mention after. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hang on. The book Uncle Wiggly and His Friends has a brief appearance in the 1994 film Forrest Gump being read by Jenny while Forrest dangles at 14 minutes and 56 seconds in. Uh, in addition, on September fourteenth, twenty thirteen, on an episode dangles. of <laughs> on an episode of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon in twenty thirteen, Uncle Wiggily's rheumatism book was on the Do Not Read list skit. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm learning so much, Jordan. <laughs> Mitch, they made a board game out of this. <laughs> I'm briefly looking up the Uncle Wiggily band as well. Hmm. Not much came out from them, it looks like. Still interesting, though, that they named themselves after him. I'm going to have to find this Uncle Wiggly game to buy. <laughs> I. This is, in, this is really weird. <laughs> now, I'm briefly going to go to Uncle Wiggly and uh, see if I can find it on Spotify. <laughs> I'm still like reading some of these. There's just the endless names of these characters. Nettie and Becky Stubtail. They're friendly bear cubs. Munchy Trot Pony Boy. Jackie and Petey Bow Wow. <laughs> Uncle Butter. He's a goat. <laughs> what on earth is happening? Lulu Alice. <laughs> Jimmy Wibble Wobble. <laughs> This is wild, man. Yeah. So, I mean, just taking a look here, the New York Evening News, at the very least, gave us Uncle Wiggly. Yeah. I mean, what did this, uh, the uh, the Garris fella, what did he, 
does it say how he contributed to the the evening news? Because he clearly had quite an imagination. He was a news reporter. Is that all it? Yeah. Yeah. He also wrote for the first 32 volumes in the Tom Swift series, written under the pen name Victor Appleton. Click on Victor Appleton. Oh, and I'd like to... uh, I'd like to initiate a, a quick correction here. It looks like that band from the 90s was Uncle Wiggly, not Uncle Wiggly. So there's no uh, I there in the middle. So the it same. must not be connected. Not the yeah. same, yeah. <laughs> now, what is the Tom Swift series? I am curious about that. Yeah, it um, it's needed to get a better understanding of this Garris fella. <laughs> Which is needed to get a better understanding of the Newark Evening News. Yeah, it's all connected, Mitch, so... <laughs> Tom Swift is the main character of five series of American juvenile science fiction and adventure novels that emphasize science, invention, and technology. First published in 1910, the series totals at more than 100 volumes. Yikes. The character was created by Edward Stratemeyer, the founder of the Stratemeyer Syndicate, a book packaging firm. Uh, Tom's adventures have been written by various ghost writers, beginning with Howard Garris. Uh, most of the books are credited to the collective pseudonym Victor Appleton. So there you go. Uh, Mitch, I think... Um, He's what? like a... Tom Swift was the Jimmy Neutron of his time. Three, three, two, two, one. Got a blast! A young ah. teenage inventor is inventive and science... Is inventive and science-minded, swift by name and swift by nature. I wonder if he was as annoying as Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> Isn't that one of those shows where everyone likes all the other characters but hates the main character? <laughs> like, Jimmy Neutron was, um, how do you say, ass? <laughs> because Accurate. He, he was so know-it-all, man. I It wasn't even funny. It was just like you knew the kid in school that was like him. And, uh, <laughs> Let's see, many of Tom Swift's fictional inventions describe actual technological developments or predate technologies now considered commonplace. Tom Swift Among the Diamond Makers was based on Charles Parsons' attempt to synthesize diamonds using electric current. Tom Swift and his photo telephone was (laughs) was published in 1912. Sending photographs by telephone was not fully developed until 1925. Wait, what? What the heck? (laughs) Tom Swift and his wizard camera <laughs> features a portable movie camera not invented until 1923. What? <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> Tom Swift and his electric locomotive was published two years before the Central Railroad of New Jersey began using the first diesel electric locomotive. Move over, Elon but... Musk. Tom Swift is here to take over. Everyone's It's been done before, Elon. <laughs> But Mitch, uh, I think we need to get into the claims of racism section. <laughs> I don't. Oh boy, I didn't see that. <laughs> we really. Oh no, we can't shut this all in a positive. <laughs> no, no, no. We we can't. Yeah, knowing now that that's on there, Tom we can't Swift ignore and his it. electric rifle contains heavy racism. <laughs> oh no. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. Oh jeez. <laughs> I don't even think we want to read this, do we? <laughs> It just gets into the it gets into classic uh, white savior tropes and uh, 
but let's just leave it at but that. A hundred times worse. <laughs> oh, but but it's a million times worse. Absolutely. Yeah, we won't get into the details of that. Well, anyway, um, what's on cultural influence? <laughs> oh, are we still on Tom Swift. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, no, I mean, there's not much more else here. They said it may have inspired uh, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Um, I believe it. Oh, here's an interesting tidbit. Scientist and television presenter Bill Nye said the books helped, quote, make me who I am. (laughs) Hey, Bill Nye, you want to go back to that section labeled claims of racism? (laughs) Microsoft founders Paul Allen and Bill Gates also read the books as children, as did co-founder of competing company Apple, Steve Wozniak. So Wozniak, who cited the series as his inspiration to become a scientist, said the books made him feel that engineers can save the world from all sorts of conflict and evil. Hmm. Guys, what's the uh, conflict and evil you're talking about here, Steve? (laughs) We're going to we're going to move on. Well, I didn't know our tech industry was run by racists. (laughs) You didn't? (laughs) Well, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's see. Also. On here is Lillian McNamara, in parentheses, Garris. So she must have, oh yeah, she later married fellow news reporter Howard Garris. She was the first female reporter on the Newark Evening News. She helped launch the Bobsy Twins series and wrote some of the early volumes. Oh God, it's getting inspired (laughs) by Garris. Tom Swift, Bobsy (laughs) Twins, come on people. It's getting crazy. (laughs) The Bobsy Twins are the principal characters of what was, for many years, the Stratemeyer Syndicate's longest-running series of American children's novels. Wow. What, what were they about? The books related to the adventures of the children of the upper-middle-class Bobsy family, which included two <laughs> sets of fraternal twins, Nan and Bert, who were 12 <laughs> years old, and Flossie and Freddie, who were six. Oh, uh, Mitch, Don't you love this... reading books about upper middle class families? Oh yeah, they're the most interesting people to analyze and study and hear about for sure. But Mitch, this newspaper, while completely failed, seemed to inspire people to write children's books, <laughs> make their name that way. It is very odd. It, yeah, I, multiple cases. Now, Jordan, you want to hear a little bit about the Bobsy family? I do. Get ready because it's very boring. Uh, <laughs> You have, Mitchell, in. Mi- you have Mr. Richard Bobsey, the owner of a lumberyard in Lakeport, Mrs. Mary Bobsey, his wife, a stay-at-home mom, Nan Bobsey, their eldest daughter, Bert's twin. She has dark hair and dark eyes. Bert Bobsey, their eldest son, Nan's twin, he has dark hair and dark eyes. It's a lot of just this all the way oh my down. God, it sounds like a bunch of uh, what Beverly Hillbilly characters or something. <laughs> like Right. A bunch of Bobseys. <laughs> <laughs> uh so they had a cat named Snoop which weird uh a duck named Downy a dog named Snap another dog named Wago and then you had Danny Rugg the school bully so they really just loved uh, onomatopoeias <laughs> they're just naming um their dogs and ducks out of uh rice crispy uh characters <laughs> just like <laughs> oh my jordan this Wikipedia article is full of information. We have, <laughs> hang on, 
Oh, wow. We have George P. Oslin, the leading reporter for the New York Evening News. He later became public relations head of Western Union and in 1933 invented the singing telegram. <laughs> what is wait, happening what? right now? <laughs> wait, what is that? He invented... So wait, like... They, he... What does that mean, Mitch? Well, <laughs> we're going to look up the article for singing telegram and I'm going to tell you. <laughs> A singing telegram is a message that is delivered by an artist in a musical forum. Singing oh, okay. telegrams are historically linked to normal telegrams, but tend to be humorous. Sometimes the artist is in costume or formal clothing. Singing telegrams are often given as a gift. Mm, so it's like, I'm here with my dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we never met. And he wants me to sing him a song. I'm here with my dad. And we never met. And he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> and um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to um, say that and then feel like an idiot if I was wrong. But <laughs> that's also a no, weird thing is... to quote unquote invent. <laughs> True. <laughs> It's not exactly the way, technology. <laughs> has anyone ever acted at being nonchalant better than James Kahn in Elf? <laughs> Every single motivation and move he makes in that, except for the one scene where he just starts screaming at Will Ferrell, just completely nonchalant the rest yeah, of the film. He's nonchalant in a lot of movies. I watched him in Misery recently, and for the crap that was going down, he really didn't... Uh... <laughs> loses his cool until like the very end <laughs> like, which credit to him i gotta say yeah i mean not easy to be there but yeah i um i don't personally feel like a singing telegram is something you can invent <laughs> but <laughs> he did it that's all i know <laughs> they're giving him credit so all right <laughs> uh all right let's see we have loot peas news editorial cartoonist and winner of the 1949 Pulitzer Prize for editorial cartooning. So there you go. Must have been some uh, post-World War II racist comics, probably. <laughs> They're all good at it. My, <laughs> you have Richard Reeves, writer for the news from 63 to 65. Later, he spent one year at the New York Herald Tribune and then the New York Times as chief political correspondent. His best-selling books include President Kennedy, Profile of Power, and President Nixon, Alone in the White House. He is currently a syndicated columnist and lecturer at the Annenberg School for Communication in Los Angeles. Oh. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Do we have anybody else in here? Oh, you know, here's the guy that got us a lot of our classics, Jordan. Andrew E. Svensson worked for the news from 32 to 48. After leaving the newspaper, he joined the Stratemeyer Syndicate, where he became partner in 1961. Svensson shared the major writing chores with Harriet Adams. Under a variety of pseudonyms, many shared with other authors, Svensson wrote books for the Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, Tom Swift, and Honey Bunch series. Okay, what's Honey Bunch? <laughs> we got, well, now we got to look it up. Uh, the Honey Bunch series of books were part of the Stratemeyer Syndicate's production of 20th Century Children's Books, featuring adventurous youngsters, which included the series Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys, and the Bobsy Twins. Well, there you go. Okay, so maybe that one's not as racist. Who knows? 
<laughs> Arthur Sylvester headed the News Bureau in Washington, D.C., and in 1960, he joined the Kennedy administration as Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs. Um, what? Okay. <laughs> okay. For, for public... Okay. That I gotta say, Jordan, okay. we're, we're down to references here. Um, and I feel like this is, I feel like we're at a good stopping point. Yeah. I feel I like mean, we really learned a lot about the Newark Evening News. Mitch, um, I can confidently say we know more about the Newport Evening, or sorry, the Newark Evening News <laughs> than anyone else. As I'm I not sure we do. Name. We don't even know the name. <laughs> um, I tell you what, Jordan, let's, let's each say the biggest thing that we learned from our Wikipedia dive today. Okay. Well, let's start with you. Okay. Well, I would say the um, I did not realize children's books were as racist as um, they were to where um, our technological leaders were reading them <laughs> and were crediting them as inspiring them. Um, but, I mean, I can easily see a situation where they don't understand or did not read those specific ones and just remember the technology. We're like, yeah, these books are great. And then they probably saw it as adults. and We're like, whoa, <laughs> but that was just a, uh, an interesting fact. I thought what I've learned is that we need to bring back uncle Wiggly as an icon for children with disabilities. Yeah. Just an Why old not, right? rabbit walking around <laughs> with a cane. As a children's book character, that sounds fun. I like that. <laughs> Make it a kids' TV show. Bring bring it in, Nickelodeon. Come on. The shows you have out now are, are trash. <laughs> Give us Uncle Wiggly Long Ears. Yeah. <laughs> Give us an old rabbit with rheumatism. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to say, this was a lot of fun. It was. It was. And I think we got to fine-tune it a little bit if we were to continue. You know, we got to... Maybe streamline the process a little more. I don't know how we do it, but we got to figure out a way to. Um, yeah, I think this is one yeah. where we could we could tweak the rules a little bit to really make it more effective. But I tell you what, I think this pilot was a success. Mitch, I don't really think we've had any failures. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I don't. I think even Saturday morning coffee hour was for somebody. You know, I still enjoyed the coffee. Yeah, the coffee was good. <laughs> I enjoyed that, that conversation. <laughs> We've yet to do a podcast that I felt like was for nobody. Yeah, I mean, other than the one we do most of the time, but I think... Well, yeah, yeah that one's, that's that just one's coming for, up with... <laughs> the pilots are all for somebody. Yeah, that's the, the one. The brainstorming episodes are for those nobody. Those are the ones we're trying to be done with, so... <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. So I think it's time to wrap it up this week, Jordan. Uh, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and, and tell your friends about us. Uh, we're going to have some fun surprises in the upcoming weeks that you'll want to check out and you'll want to tell people about. Uh, we are at Any Ideas Pod on Twitter, Any Ideas on Facebook, and the Any Ideas Pod at gmail.com. Uh, again, no polls this week. I'm waiting a little while to put out polls about the pilots. Uh, just let everyone sort of uh, live with those for a while and see how they feel. Um, but still keep an eye on social media for any news about the podcast. Uh, the theme this week was Rocket by Herbie Hancock. Uh, so go check that out. I mean, <laughs> Why you was probably, it that? <laughs> I, so the, <laughs> so the, the title of the podcast is Wiki Wiki What? Oh, so right. I 
picked a song that had a lot of records crashing. <laughs> That's <laughs> literally. I mean, it makes sense. It it's all there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and until next week, remember. Remember to always cite your sources, unless that source is Wikipedia. Wikipedia.